your Bible this evening and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Appreciate Bradley and Amber filling in this evening with the music. It's a blessing to have, you know, it's a blessing to have so many people that, you know, I can, I can remember being in, in church bigger than this and not having a piano player. So, we are certainly blessed. Ephesians chapter 4. <clears throat> going to start at verse 17, going to read through the end of the chapter. This I they say therefore and testify in the Lord, that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alien, alienated from the life of God to the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Notice that. It's the blindness of their heart. It's the heart that's the problem. Uh, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work on cleanness with greediness. Ye have not so learned Christ, if so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. That you put off concerning the former conversation the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and sin not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. The title of the message tonight, Learning to Walk with the Lord. Learning to Walk with the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity we have to open thy precious word. Lord, I pray as we look into the word of God and consider the subject, Learning to Walk with You, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts, challenge us, and encourage us. And, Father, that we might grow in the grace and knowledge and learn to walk with you, even as Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. So just have your will in your way and be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, chapters 4 and 5 here of the book of, Ephes- uh, book of Ephesians, the word walk is used five times. In chapter 4, verse 1, we are to walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Here in chapter 4, verse 17, we are to walk not as the Gentiles walk, or other Gentiles. We are Gentiles. I think we're all Gentiles here. We are to walk not as other Gentiles. And that's the way he's church the ch- telling the church at Ephesus they were Gentiles. There may have been a few Jews. I don't know. Um, but they were to walk not like other Gentiles or not to walk like the unsaved. Uh, chapter 5, verse 2, he tells us to walk in love, and as Christ also had loved us. And then chapter 5, verse 8, we're to walk as children of the light. We've been translated from the darkness into light, Colossians tells us. And then chapter 5, verse 15, we are to walk circumspectly, 
not as fools. You know, a fool just goes wherever he wants. He don't take any. He don't give any thought as to where he's going or what he's doing or the consequences thereof. But to walk circumspectly means we are careful, cautious of where we walk. And we'll be looking at those later. But tonight, we we need to learn to walk with the Lord. It is learning. Now, he starts out by giving us the walk of the world. And, and, and let me define the word walk here. The word walk means to regulate one's life, to conduct oneself. So it is really how we live and conduct ourselves and, and, you know, and it will include our philosophy of life. That, that's, that's, of course, what governs our walk. And we're not to walk of the walk of the world. In verses 17 through 19, he gives a list of things that describes the walk of the world. Vanity or perverseness and deprivation. Vanity of the mind. The mind has to do with the, the faculty of perceiving things or understanding things. Being able to, to recognize good and evil. Now, a lot of people have a hard time recognizing good and evil. They can't discern what is right. Because they've had their minds, as he says here, they having the understanding darkened. The mind or the faculty of understanding or their feelings and desires have been darkened. They've they're de- been deprived of light. It's like they've been covered over. And, and really, it's, as we're going to see, it's kind of a darkness of choice. Uh, he says they've been, been alienated, being alienated, verse 18, from the, life, from, the, uh, from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. You know, to be alienated means to be shut out from. So they've been, they, and they've been alienated themselves. They're ignorant or they, they have want of knowledge. And this, this, this ignorance is such as is inexcusable. Now think about it. The whole world is without excuse. You say, preacher, that's kind of dogmatic. Well, the Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. Day in the day utter speech, and night in the night show us knowledge. And as we heard, and I agree with what Brother Hoyle said this morning, if we accept the natural revelation, the creation that God gives us, if we accept that and say there's got to be a God, God will send us special revelation, in other words, the gospel. Bill Rice, who started Bill Rice Ranch, he wrote a, little, he, he wrote a book called Cowboy Boots in Darkest Africa. And I heard his son, Bill III, tell the story that his dad always wanted to have a ministry with the pygmy tribes of Africa, those little people. And so he went to Africa. He went in Africa on a mission trip, and he, he, he ministered among the pygmies. And there was a, there was a, uh, a uh, witch doctor of one of the pygmy tribes that told him, this he said my grandfather was a witch doctor my father was a witch doctor but he said I look at the heavens and say there must be a God but I didn't know who that God was but that God sent you here to tell me about him you see he had received the natural revelation that God gave him and and, that, and that's what it means in Romans where it says they glorify him not. In other words, 
They looked at the stars, but this man looked at the stars and said, there's got to be a God. He gave God his rightful place. He's the creator. And so there's got to be a God. But it says when they glorified him not. In other words, they don't give him his rightful place as the creator, the one who made them and whom they are accountable to. But he accepted. He said, there's got to be a God, and that God sent you to tell me about him. So this ignorance is inexcusable. Psalm 19 and Romans 1 tell us that. So this ignorance, you know, as you think about that, the whole world that's ignorant is ignorant by choice. Now that doesn't excuse us from taking it to the gospel to them. But they are ignorant. <coughs> excuse me. And it says that they're this, this ignorance, in verse uh, 18, it says, Through the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. Now that's int- uh, that, was, that phrase really stuck out to me. The blindness of the heart. See, mind's not the problem, it's the heart. And the heart is the seat of the intelligence, or the seat of the will, and the seat of the desires. And the blind- word blindness means a hardening of, or of stubbornness. In other words, there's an unwillingness to accept there's a God I have to answer to. They're unwilling to accept that. And so they resist it. There's a hardening to it. Sort of like Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Moses, Who's God that I should obey him? Who's God? I'm not going to submit myself to God. I'm Pharaoh. And that's what, that's what really this means here, the hardening of the heart. They're, and it says that he goes on and says they're past feeling or they become callous or insensible or apathetic. They don't care. I was talking to my neighbor. I preached the funeral of a sister. I preached the funeral of his dad. Excuse me, there's another one in there. I remember. Anyway, I've talked to him several times, and this is his his answer. Well, I just don't give it any time to think about it. He knows. He knows that he's headed for the same place. Death. We just don't want to. And it's almost like he doesn't care. I mean, you're faced with death. Your sister and your dad both die. His sister's younger than him, I think. And, 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 and he, he has health or heart problems. And he don't care. Past feeling. Insensible. And, of course, he says, it goes on and says, they, they've past feeling, they've given themselves over to lasciviousness. The word lasciviousness is a, is a broad term. talks about of carnality or wanton manners, uh, conclude filthy words, indecent bodily movements, unchaste handling of males and females. So, this is, so it's a broad term kind of given over to just plain carnality. Now, 
lasciviousness. And we see that in our society everywhere. There's this, there's this lawlessness or this carnality that is so prevalent. Uh, is pervading our society. Uh, and to work all uncleanness with greediness. The word uncleanness is in a moral sense, the impurity of lustful, luxurious, profligate, profligate, I guess is how you say it, profligate living. Uh, it's immoral and extravagant. That's kind of what it means, immoral and extravagant. I was thinking about that, and I thought about the rural wedding. You had a Hollywood holler. Married the prince. I think they lived together before they got married. With lots of extravagance. The wedding cost 400 and some thousand dollars. The wedding cake itself was $7,000. I hope it tastes good. Yeah, the sad thing was, here's the sad thing about that. The vast, I think it was like 300 and some thousand dollars of that, maybe more, was just on security. That kind of tells you what kind of world we live in. When you've got to spend that much for security. Still an expensive wedding. Extravagance. And immorality mixed in with it. Uh, and greediness. There's always a desire for more. They're never satisfied. You know, this isn't, this isn't new. This was, this, Paul here is describing the Gentiles of his day. You know, in the city of Ephesus, Ephesus was a port city, a wealthy city, one of the main cities of Asia Minor there in the area of in, in Tur- would have been modern-day Turkey. And so it was, it was a, a city that was, was had wealth and full of wickedness. Licentious living and extravagance was there. And there's, and, and, and there's always a desire for more, greediness. But, you know, that, that could describe the Pharisees. Think about it. Jesus said in Matthew 23, 14, Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye devour widows' houses, and for pretense make long prayers, therefore ye shall receive the greater damnation. So they were devouring widows' houses, and, uh, and, and you know, some time ago I, I talked about that, how they would, that, you know, there'd be a widow in need, and so they would buy her house to provide for her, and then charge exuberant prices of rent that in time she couldn't pay, so she had to move out, and then they'd take the property all in the appearance of helping the widows. And then they, you know, Harry Arnside said they might foreclose on a widow on Friday night and be Saturday morning praying long prayers in the street corner. And Jesus said, what hypocrisy. There's the greediness. Greediness. And then in Mark chapter 7, Mark chapter 7, Verses 9 through 13, he talked about, again, exposes their hypocrisy and their greediness in relation to their own parents. Mark nine, or 7, verse 9, And he said unto them, Full well you reject the commandment of God, that may you keep your own tradition. For Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother, 
And whosoever curses father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, a man shall say to his father or mother, it is Corban, that is to say, a gift. Whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, he shall be free. And ye suffer him no more to do aught for his father or his mother, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which ye have delivered, and many such things, many, notice, many such things like things ye do. Lord, so here, you know, we're to honor our father and mother, and so what he's referring to here is that when your father and mother become of age, you're to take care of them. That's how you honor them. If they have needs, you're, you're, you're his children, and of course Timothy tells us that, that, that the children are to provide for the widows. Take care of the widows. The only, the only situation where, where that's not to be done is if there is no children. Then the church is supposed to take care of the widow. But you see here, they were supposed to honor their parents or take care of, see that their needs met when they get older. But if they, if, to get out of doing that, which would cost them money, to get out of doing that, they could say, all my business is dedicated to the Lord. Therefore, I can't take of that and provide for you. Because after all, it's been dedicated to the Lord. And he said, so you make the word of God in effect through your tradition. They would deny their own parents' needs. Again, it was all for selfish gain. Look at John chapter 8, verse 1. John chapter 8, verse 1. Again, the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. Jesus went out unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery, notice, in the very act. Now Moses and law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that might have to accuse him, but Jesus stooped down and wrote with his finger on the ground, and, and as though he heard them not. Now, here's the thing that really puzzles me. Can a woman commit adultery by herself? I mean, it says they caught her in the very act. So where's the man? You have to have a man for a woman to commit adultery. And yes, the law says to stone her, but it also says to stone him. But they didn't bring a man. You know, commentators have speculated what Jesus wrote on the ground. I have too. Where was the man? You know, the law, they were... Saying, said, stone her, again says that they are both to be stoned. So if they caught them, had to be them, in the very act, where is the man? I don't know, maybe these guys just hate women, I don't know. And, and so you see this, this is, 
And, of course, they were doing this for their own gain. But go to, go to Matthew chapter 13. Notice what Jesus said about him. Matthew chapter 13, verse 10. Matthew 13, 10 says, And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them, referring to the Pharisees, in parables? He answered and said unto them, unto the disciples, Because it's given unto you, in other words, you disciples, to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more in abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away even that he hath. Therefore speak I to them, that is the Pharisees, in parables, because they seeing, see not, and hearing, hear not, neither do understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall perceive, and not perceive. For this people's, what? Their mind? No. Their heart is wax gross. And their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, thus at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted I should heal him, them. See, it, when the Bible talks here about the blindness of the heart, it is such that is inexcusable. It is a blindness on purpose. It's a willful blindness. And the Pharisees willfully blinded their eyes. They refused to believe the truth. A lot of people in our world today still believe, still refuse to believe the truth. And this continued throughout the New Testament. You would think after the, all the, that happened uh, during the early days you know, of, uh, you know, with, with the crucifixion and the resurrection and the, 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 the trying of the cover-up and, and the veil from the temple being rent from the top to the bottom, you know, all those things. And then there was many priests that believed and came to the Lord in Acts chapter 5 and 6 you would think the Pharisee would say, hmm, maybe we are wrong. But in the last chapter of the book of Acts, you know what Paul says? He says basically the very same thing Jesus said here in Matthew chapter 13. There were Jews at Rome, and they were just like the Pharisees at Jerusalem. Their hearts, they had You see, this walk of the world is without excuse. It's without excuse. Their minds have been darkened but they've chosen to go that way. And so we're not to walk. We're not to be willful and stubborn in our walk and blind. But we are, so that's the walk of the world. But secondly, we, we are commanded to learn Christ. Notice verses 20 and 21, it says, But ye have, not, ye have not so learned Christ. If so be, ye have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus. Now, where did the Ephesus hear Christ? Where did the Ephesians hear Christ? They heard it through Paul. They heard him through Paul. Um, so but, but the point here is the walk with the Lord is something we learn the word learned means it's an acquired skill 
by study and instruction. And it is to be taught, part of the one definition was, to be taught in the fellowship of Christ. In other words, in his church. You know, and again, that's the purpose that Paul gives for the ministerial gifts in verses uh, 11 through 16. Was to teach Christ so we can learn him. Be skilled in him. In 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 and 2, Paul wrote to Timothy, and he said, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. So Paul taught Timothy. Timothy learned Christ from Paul, and there were men who were learning Christ from Timothy. And those men who Timothy taught, they would teach others also. That's how it works. Titus, when he wrote Titus, the aged men would be sober, the aged women also, and they were to teach young women, and young men likewise were to so be minded. You know, they were to each to teach the next generation. We're to continue to pass on the faith. You know, Jesus spent three and a half years teaching his disciples. Three and a half years. And one of those, one of those hardens heart. Not as hard as hard. Not everybody we teach learns. It has to be received. It has to be received. We have to be willing to open our hearts and receive it. You know, Judas, Judas had all the privileges. In fact, he had, in some ways, greater privileges than the other disciples. He bare the bag. In other words, he was a treasure. He was a trusted individual in the group. You know, when the disciples were talking about, evidently they were talking about it because Jesus addressed it, take no thought what you should eat, what you should drink, what you should wear what you should put on. You know, look at the lilies of the field and the fowl of the air. Does not God clothe them? Does not feed them? You know, evidently they were maybe having a discussion among themselves, something like this. You know, Bradley, I'm not sure what I'm going to eat tomorrow. I'm not sure there's enough money in the treasury to buy us. I... You know, I just don't know if there's going to be enough there for groceries for my family next week. You know, many times we do that. You know, I think people live, many people live either in the past or in the future. In other words, they live in the past, they're bitter or angry about something in the past, or they're living on past memories and, and, and what they've done in the past and aren't doing anything today, or else they're living in the future, worried about what's going to happen. What Jesus said, you need to be worrying about what's right now. What's right now? That is what faith does. Faith worries about what's right now. But Judas, you know, he carried the bag. But he hardened his heart. You know, we need to learn. Again, to learn, we have to be willing to learn. We have to receive 
what is taught. You know, we had a employee for a little while who was always on time. In fact, he was always early. And it wasn't that he would not work. It's just that sometimes the way he did things, we had to redo. It didn't meet our standards, nor homeowner standards. But you know what? We couldn't help him because he never did anything wrong. He was not willing to learn to do it right. So he's no longer our employee. You see, and the same is true in the Christian world. We have to be willing to learn. And the more willing we are to learn, the faster we grow. But this, and again, this, and the third thing we see here is this learning requires choices. Notice verse 22 to 32. It says that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness, and wherefore put away lying and so on. So it requires, learning requires choices. There are things you have to put off. And that word put off simply means like you take off the coat. And put on was like you put on a garment. So you take off one thing and put on something else. It's choices. And there's a list of choices here that we have to learn to do. And by learning these and doing these choices, we will be brought, will be brought about uh, a trans. Of course, this is brought about by a transforming of the mind. It is not just conforming to an outward standard. It's not what we're looking for. You know, a lot of people look around to see what others are doing, and then they imitate just to fit in. You know, they adjust themselves to fit in. No, we're not to be a, a, a chamelin. You know, changeable, fickle, an inconsistent person. In other words, they'll be like every, whoever they're around at the time. You know, Chamberlain is one of those lizards that change colors to fit in wherever they are. No, he says we're to be renewed by the spirit in the spirit of your mind. The word renewed in mind means to be spiritually transformed. To take on a new mind, new thinking. Your Romans 12, 2 says, And be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that a good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Colossians chapter 3. You may say, well, how is this done? Well, let's go on a rabbit trail here. I'm going to have a train track. Hopefully we'll have a caboose at the end. But Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 says this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. We need to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. And then Paul said, and you know, this is, this is true in Paul's life, and Paul said this three times. Follow me. 
1 Corinthians 4, 16, he said, Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. In 1 Corinthians 11, 1, he says, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. And then in Philippians 3, 17, he says, Brethren, be followers together of me. Mark them which walk, so as ye have us for an example. In Hebrews 13, 7, it tells us that, Hebrews 13, 7, uh, it says, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. So we're to follow those who faithfully end their conversation. <laughs> you know what it means to end your conversation? The word end here is not merely the end of their physical life, but the manner in which they close a well-spent life as exhibited by their spirit in dying. You might say, what is their attitude through the trials, the hardships, challenges of life? misunderstandings when when problems arise or things like this happen in the church and they do what's the response you know some people just leave some people just quit going to church some people will adopt the idea well the church is full of hypocrites You know, I agree, there's hypocrites in the church, in churches. But a hypocrite really is one who says it's a Christian and doesn't live like it. That's the one who don't go to church. Look at James chapter 3. James chapter 3. <coughs> James 3, verse 13. Who is a wise man and dude of knowledge among you? Let him show out of good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual. And the word sensual simply means natural or after human nature. Devilish. For envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above, notice, is first pure then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. You know, what we're saying here is wise men or leaders are not given to strife or confusion, or bitterness, or anger. Um, I was in a church one time, and a pastor threatened the whole church, and particularly addressed the young people in the church, the whole group of young people, over a boy who was picked on in the youth group. And he said something like this, if it didn't stop, he was going to take action. Uh, 
don't know what he thought he was doing, but he did not help it. All he did was alienate the whole youth group from it. Because there was only one or two in the whole youth group that were guilty. But he took it out on the whole youth group. You know, in my opinion, he did that the way human nature would, without wisdom. There was another situation, same church, same man. One man said something to private and some to someone else, which was in disagreement with the church. And again, so he threatens the whole church. And I remember talking to Brother Green one time about that, and he said, yeah, why did he just talk to the man? Why did he just talk to the man? No, he took it out on the whole church. You know what he did? He distanced himself from his church people and created a disunity in the church. You know, no, we're to follow those as an example. As an example. Um, you know, you think about it, you know, when you think about it, you know, pastors do have authority, but it is not without checks and balances. Their authority is limited to the scriptures. Go to, go to, to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15, of course you have the, the uh, conference at Jerusalem uh, over the council at Jerusalem uh, over the issue of circumcision. And uh, so Peter, or Paul and Barnabas go up to Jerusalem to settle this matter, this difference of opinion that has developed, uh, brought about by some who went out from Jerusalem who were not sent out by the church of Jerusalem that caused this, this stir. And, of course, Peter stands up and talks about how he went into Cornelius and all and so forth. And then James, James, who is the pastor, stands up and he says in verse 13, And after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon hath declared how God, at the first, did visit the Gentiles to take out for them a people for his name. To this agree the words of the prophets, as it is written. That's very important when we think about this. And he quotes the Old Testament scriptures in defense of Paul and Barnabas against those who were corrupting the church at Antioch who came from Jerusalem. But he's using or quoting the scriptures as it is written. See, his authority is not him. But some like to say, notice in verse 19 it says, Wherefore my sentence is, therefore I say this is what we need to do. No, that's not what he said. The word sentence means this is what I think. This is my opinion. And then they asked for a vote. And the church agreed with James. But James based his argument on 
not his authority as a pastor, but on the scriptures. Because the scriptures say this. You know, it's not really difficult to convince, it's not as difficult to convince people to follow you if you have an authority beyond yourself. The word of God. But you know, we need to learn. And we learn, we learn by following. Developing habits. You know, spend time with the Lord every day. Habits like, just like eating. Um, you know, when you quit eating, you can quit reading the Bible. And studying the word of God. The Bible is food for your soul. You know, Job said, I esteemed his word more than my necessary food. So if you want to learn, you've got to read, you've got to study. You've got to make it a habit of listening to preaching. Be faithful in church attendance. You know, 1 Thessalonians 5.20 says, despise not prophesied. In other words, the word despise there, to consider it not important. Some people say, oh, well, it don't matter if I miss church a few times a week. What you've just robbed yourself of is spiritual food. Now, not every message that you hear is going to be as helpful as some others to you and your circumstances in life. But you know, some foods are more helpful than others too. So we're going to just quit eating? Just thought. No, we need to continue learning. We need to continue learning. You know, if, if you're going to be successful in business, you must continue learning. I've read of a, there was a business in, uh, uh, there was a, you know, some journalist trying to find dirt on a politician. I can't remember who it was up in Wisconsin. And one of the things they brought up was they, 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 bought, they bought into a, some paper company and they blamed them for the closing of this paper company. But the problem with the paper company really was the paper company was not changing with the times. People don't use as much paper as they used to. We use computers. We just store it on a scan disk or store it on the hard drive. We don't print everything out. And so, you know, some had tried to encourage this business to update and change some of their equipment to make other things out of paper, but they didn't do it. So they were losing money. So they sold it. Why? Because they didn't continue to examine and re-examine themselves and make improvements. You know, we need to be constantly, as God's people, examining and re-examining our lives and improving. It's a continual learning process. And this is really, this is really how you put off the old man and put on the new. You know, when you quit putting off the old and putting on the new, you're stagnating. You're not going anywhere. 
might as well just die. See, this is how all becomes new. You know, when we when we read Second Corinthians five seventeen, the idea is there of a continual putting off, old things pass or are passing away, and all things are becoming new. It's a continual process. And if we look here in Ephesians chapter 4, he gives, he gives some things. He doesn't list everything in life, but some basic things and illustrations of how we put off. You know, for example, in verse 25, he says, Wherefore, put away lying. So we put off lying. You speak every man truth with his neighbor. We're members of one another. Be angry and sin off. So we're to put off anger or uncontrolled anger and have a controlled spirit. You know, it's, it's not necessarily wrong to be angry. Jesus was angry at times, but he never let his anger take control. So there's a fine line there between anger and giving place to the devil. Stealing would put off stealing, neither give place to the, uh, verse 28, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands a thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. You know, welfare is stealing. It's stealing. We have a lot of thieves in our country, legally. It's taking from those that have and giving to those that have not because they don't want to work. Um, putting off, for better term, foul mouth, and using words that are edifying. Verse 29, let, it, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. So we're to use edifying, graceful words. Psalm 19, 14 says, let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. And then he says, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor. The word clamor has the idea of outcry or wailing in distress. Some people cry out and wail in distress uh, when, the, when there's a difficulty. It's sort of like you know, the, the children of Israel, when, when they were without water, they cried unto Moses. They were always crying unto Moses. It's clamor. You know what the New Testament calls it? In 2 Corinthians, no, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, murmuring and complaining. That's how it describes. And, of course, malice is ill will or desire to injure. I hope you get run over on your tricycle. You know, winning injury to someone because of something may, may have said or done to you or just out of spite. You know, look at the, what's going on in our nation that people are saying about the president, his wife, his children. It's despicable. It's malice. They're full of malice and hate. The Lord said we're to put away all that stuff and be kind. Instead, we're to be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. And you notice verse 30 says this, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. You see, to resist or to not put off the old man and put on the new man, 
grieve the Spirit of God. It will grieve him. You see, we must learn, and it's learned. But you know, some of us have advantage, and I'm not excusing anyone. We're all without excuse. But if you train your children to obey you, they have a great advantage over children who are left to themselves. Because they've already learned to submit to an authority. That's why child training is so important. It's vital. It's vital. It's easier for someone who has been made to obey to learn, because learning takes discipline, being willing to receive it, receive instruction than somebody who has never been taught from little up. Now they say you can't teach an old dog new tricks. But I'm here to tell you, you can. It may be more difficult, but the power of God can change even us old dogs. The question is, are we willing? Are we willing to learn? May God help us to walk, to learn to walk with the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly